Welcome back, listeners. This is the fourth episode of Branch 251, the podcast about the world's first criminal trial dealing with accusations of atrocity crimes by Syrian officials. My name is Karam Shomali. And I am Fritz Streif. And this is the first episode that we record uh, together yeah. as in the same place. Fritz lives in Paris and I live in Berlin. And uh, this week he made it all the way from Paris to Copelands and now we are recording my home studio. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you made it, Fritz. Thanks. How was your trip? It was actually okay to cross the borders. Uh, there was no issues there and I got to Copelands uh, fine. And and then after court, um, I just continued to Berlin so that we could record this mm-hmm. episode together with the... Uh, With the two of us. Good to uh, have you here. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we're recording here in, in Karam's home studio at a distance. At a distance. Social distancing uh, recording. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, this was uh, an important week for the trial. Yes, the court resumed uh, after a couple of weeks of recess and was in session for two days. So tell us what happened. Yeah, so as expected, Anwar R., the main accused, had his lawyers read out a statement he wrote. And it was quite a statement, but... Um, Yeah, step, let's let's take it step by step. First things first. Yeah, first things first. And uh, as you know, I recorded our call after you left the court on the first day. Yeah. Just after Anwar R's statement. So let's listen to that. Yeah. Hey, man. Called you. Hey. Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I'm just leaving the courthouse now. Um, and uh, there's still quite some people out here um, talking to media. The public gallery in the press uh, section was um, uh, totally full again today. Uh, for reasons that we shall discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm seeing here people giving interviews to TV. And then there's this uh, one lone podcaster. Fritz Schreif. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get a good seat? Uh, we were there at uh, quarter past six in the early morning, cold, but uh, it got us a seat in the in the public gallery. So we were happy about that. And what happened? As expected, Anwar R., had his lawyers read out a statement that he wrote himself. He didn't really make any concrete legal arguments or rebuttals that would you know, potentially get him off the hook. Mm. It was more of a schematic sort of general um, reaction is also what we heard from one of the lawyers of the joint plaintiffs, of the victims that, that joined the case, um, Patrick Croker. Basically, he gave two general explanations when he went through some pieces of the evidence against him, by far not all, but he mentioned some quite in detail. And he either said the person was lying or was mistaken, it's not true, or he said, yeah, that must might have taken place, but it was all anyways um, uh, taken place or under the responsibility of subsection 40 of Hafiz Mahlouf, uh, and I had no control over that. This was Patrick Croker from the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights, or ECCHR. He represents some of the victims as joint plaintiffs in this case. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. So Patrick Croker is mentioned in subsection 40 here. It's a subsection of branch 251. And what Patrick is getting at here is that Anwar R. is blaming all wrongdoing on this subsection and its chief uh, at the time, Hafez Makhlouf. Hafez Makhlouf's family is related to the Assads by marriage. Bashar al-Assad's mother is actually a makhlouf, and this gave the makhlouf's status and influence in Syria. Right, so Anwar R is pointing the finger at others in terms of wrongdoing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think now back to our conversation we had after the court. Okay. He and his lawyer tried in these 40 pages to um, uh, claim that these accounts by the victims are non-factual or like 
they're lying or they're not remembering things correctly. Like pretty much that's it. This is their defensive strategy now. That, so that is that is the part of the of the statement today that concerned the individual accusations and the and the witness statements that mm-hmm. um, supposedly back up those statements. There was sort of two parts in terms of context. He's, he his personal story and. Mm-hmm his personal take on the political history. He basically said, in terms of his personal story, he said, look, as soon as things really started changing after the uprising in 2011, mm-hmm. I started seeing things happening in a way that weren't according to what I had learned. You know, he, mm. he, he made a point of saying, I uh, went to law school in Damascus. I graduated there uh, in, uh, in law. And uh, he said, as soon as things started changing with the uprising in 2011, this sort of clique or gang of loyalists to the regime took over directing Branch 251, where he worked at the time. Um, And he basically said, from that point onwards, I started feeling uncomfortable. I was degraded in the hierarchy um, as soon as I made my my discomfort known to my superiors. I... I saw that things started happening around me, including torture and and other uh, things out of outside of uh, what I thought was the rule book. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to uh, help as many individual detainees uh, as I could. When there was a chance to put them on a list of detainees to be released, I always tried to sort of smuggle extra names onto that list. Wow. Um, and and at the same time, I couldn't do anything to stop the weird stuff that was starting to happen around me, the torture and, uh, and the killings, because that was done by this, by this clique, by this gang of regime loyalists. And I was put into different jobs and I was degraded. And at some point I just made the plan concrete to leave the country and to desert. Oh, okay. So just like to summarize, like to see if I understand you correctly, he's claiming uh, during his time at branch 251 before 2011, there was no wrongdoing at the branch, no, no torture yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Right, at least for the time that that he was the director of the investigations section of the branch, he made very clear that the director of the branch wasn't him. He was just the director of the investigations unit of the branch, mm-hmm. um, and he he mentioned the the actual director uh, a number of times. Uh, so he down he downplayed his role is what it comes down to. He two things: one, before two thousand eleven, we did stuff according to the rule of law. He even referred to uh, to a sort of rule of law concepts a number of times. And after 2011, this gang of, of, uh, of loyalists took over uh, a power and then took over a direction of these detention centers, including including mine. And I, I couldn't do anything to, to stop it. And I tried to help as many people as I could uh, to get out. And uh, and then I, uh, I fled the country. See, here's, here's the thing that's like, me as a Syrian growing up in Syria and and hearing about these security branches the whole time, I find it now kind of ironic yeah. that he's associating the phrase rule of law with branch 251 or, or, or the Air Force security branch or the, or the telecommunications security branch. Like rule of law and like in my, in my addiction can't be associated with any of the branches. But this is like my personal, yeah. you know. Um, reaction upon hearing rule of law yeah. branch to 51 and since i was a kid you know growing up like uh, we were always afraid of like security branches and and the, uh, hearing all of these stories about them and during my research about or during my work you know like covering syria for the new york times and other uh, i came many across many many people i interviewed many 
former detainees and victims who uh, were tortured, you know, yeah. through these branches, you know, like uh, after the Hama massacre in 1981 and 82, uh, around the uprising by Muslim Brotherhood, you know, like in the 80s, yeah. all the way, you know, like uh, through the 90s and 2000. So I really find it hard to believe that there was like rule of law in these security branches, but this is my, you know, yeah. personal opinion in a way. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's clearly... A slap in the face to 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 you uh, uh, Syrians and to to the victims um, of this uh, system for him mm-hmm. to to claim this kind of stuff. Did he even cover his face? Anwar, R? yeah, Anwar R didn't cover his face, and he also didn't cover his face last uh, court session. I know you're no psychologist; you're a lawyer by profession. Mm-hmm. But like, what do you think this tells you? You know, like uh, that he. He's not hiding his face. Is that like a statement to prove his innocence, or like like I'm innocent? I don't have to hide my face, kind of situation. I mean, I th- as you say, I'm not a psychologist, but I do I do enjoy sort of psychologizing every now and then. Anwar R, not hiding his face and coming today with such an, a detailed and relatively well structured uh, statement. Mm. Uh, means that uh, he definitely is on a on a strategy that says I'm here, I'm facing this court, and yeah. um, I do not see a reason to hide my face. Uh, since uh, what I'm saying here is, is I'm innocent. Uh, I did not uh, do the things that I'm accused of, and um, so there's no reason for me to hide. Yeah, yeah, seems like it, but you know, like who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. So just like. For my understanding, uh, a 40-page uh, statement, and uh, how would you describe uh, the defense strategy, if, if you can describe it in a couple of sentences? Mm-hmm. Basically, a strategy that we've seen before in these kinds of trials, saying, I was in a context that turned, that turned sour, that turned bad, that turned illegal. I didn't agree with that. I tried to uh, stop it, but I couldn't. I wasn't in a position to be able to to stop it. And um, when I realized that, I I made sure that I left as soon as I could. We know this. Yeah. We know the strategy from earlier uh, trials of this kind of crimes against humanity and and war crimes. And uh, what we can definitely see is it's going to be a long trial because um, yeah. Anwar is uh, is preparing to use all uh, the legal instruments. I think that uh, that are his disposal in this in this fair trial, and that's his good right. So, so far, it's a full-on defense strategy and zero admission of guilt. Zero That's admission it. of guilt, rejection of all accusations, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, pre- and preparing uh, the court and the, and the prosecutor um, that he will uh, do his very best to show that he is not uh, what the indictment says uh, he is and, 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 and he did. All right, Fritz. So we know the statement was widely anticipated by many. Yeah, not just us um, and and the media. It was um, a full public gallery again at the courthouse. Um, But there was also uh, quite a number of uh, Syrian survivors and victims of Branch 251 and other Syrian torture prisons. um, And they all came to listen to what Anwar uh, had to say. Yeah, and what kind of reactions did you hear at the court after the statement? Well, the victim's lawyer we heard from earlier, Patrick Croker, said the following after we left the court. Uh, and today, from the accused himself, we heard only a general refusal, basically, of all points, including, you know, uh, was there torture in Syria pre-2011? We didn't hear anything about that, you know. The first time uh, that the word torture was mentioned was almost one hour 
uh, after the after the beginning of the reading um, and so there's there's a lot to be done still thank you patrick and i also got to talk to someone who actually survived branch 251 herself her name is sumaya alolabi and she told me this i would like to ask you if you wanted to just comment on what you heard the lawyers read out and what you think about the statement that was nothing actually just boring <laughs> statement long uh, boring statement and uh, yeah i i i felt like i maybe i will be i will have some bad uh, emotion about uh, what i'm going to hear but that never happened because mm. that wasn't truth mm. that's why interesting so you're saying that because it was so far away from exactly. what you actually from your own experience exactly. that it didn't even touch me no at all mm. no i thought before i i went to, to the session uh, maybe i will hard i i will have really hard time uh, listening to this statement about the their point of view i can't imagine what he is going to say so that's why i i prepare myself very well to to hear that without uh, any um, any emotion but uh, that never happened actually okay well that's <laughs> yeah. good <laughs> yeah that was good <laughs> thank you sumaya the crazy thing about sumaya's story is actually she left syria to come to germany in 2015 and ended up in no other place uh, than Koblenz. yeah and now this trial is taking place there too. Yeah, it's uh, it's really quite crazy. And she's um, she told me she's planning on attending every court session. And she said to me, you know, this this coincidence of this trial happening in the very same place that she moved to in Germany is pretty weird for her. You know, it's good in a way because she can follow it closely, mm -hmm. but it's also really intense, of course. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, so now it's time for our listener questions. Yes, we had some questions again, and this time we do not have to read them for you. We will answer these questions in a future episode dedicated mm -hmm. to Profile Anwar R, actually. Um, here they are. Hi, this is Lawrence Habley. How come Anwar R is so convinced that he is not guilty and that he was just walking around the Berlin Refugee Center so freely? Didn't he think he would be discovered? Hi, this is Christian from Germany. I wonder when his career came to an end and how he ended up in Germany. Thank you very much, Christian and Lawrence, for these important questions. Um, We're going to take a whole episode for that because there's so much to say uh, regarding the questions of, you know, who, who is this guy and what did he do before? How did he end up directing mm -hmm. the investigations unit of one of the most notorious uh, security branches in Syria? And uh, how did he end up in Germany? Mm -hmm. Uh, so we'll um, we'll dive into those questions in a future episode um, where we have the the time to uh, to really uh, look at those uh, look at those questions in uh, in detail. Yes, thank you guys for your questions, and we encourage uh, uh, all of our listeners to share with us their questions mm -hmm. and uh, via Twitter or email. Thank you guys, and uh, with this we are coming to the end of this episode. This week was a milestone in the trial. And, uh, yeah, it's historic. Yeah, and at the same time, I think it's a good moment to point out um, something that I uh, was discussing and, and hearing quite a lot from some Syrians that uh, were attending court as well um, this week. Mm -hmm. You know that the, the thing that this is also really just a small step towards justice for Syria, as historic as this is, as the first trial, it's just one small piece of um, of, of justice for Syria and. Um, 
and the Syrians I talked to really pointed out that we're not there yet in terms of accountability for Syria at all. You know, this mm -hmm. is not by a margin. This is uh, a beginning, yeah. and 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 for this case uh, specifically, this was also just the beginning of a of a long trial ahead still. Yeah, yeah, and we will be following it closely for your dear listeners and uh, bringing you weekly updates and uh, more background and content. So yeah, what's on the schedule for next week, Fritz? Next week. There is court again. There will be more witnesses. Uh, from what we understand, the judges will hear witnesses from the police who interviewed Iyad A and Anwar R and uh, how those first points of contact with the German authorities contributed to their eventual arrest in 2019. Mm -hmm. So it looks like the court is just slowly hearing how these events all came together and gathering information and confirmation of the evidence that is presented uh, to the judges. Mm -hmm. And we will also just learn more about all that next week. Thank you for listening. Have a good weekend. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues. And you can support this podcast by following the link in the show notes or clicking on the support this podcast button on the website. We're getting some very nice support already and we really appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. This really means a lot uh, to us. Branch 251 is produced and hosted by the two of us. Thanks again to Martin von Dornmalen for his uh, production feedback. I'm Karam Shomali. And I'm Fritz Streif. We'll see you next week on Branch 251. See you then.